0: Hi, this is Ruth Friedman, and I serve as the Maharat at Ohav Shalom, the National Synagogue in Washington, D.C. And welcome back to my weekly Parsha podcast, Life Imitates Torah. And I had taken a break when the pandemic began because it just became very difficult to stay on top of everything. Um, and there was a lot of, of chaos going on. And though um, the pandemic, of course, is still very much present, I've reached the point where I um, am able and excited to restart this again with you. So thank you for your patience in waiting for me. And um, I wanted to dedicate today's cheer and, and the ones moving forward, of course, for the, the speedy refua, the healing of everyone who is afflicted with this terrible disease. And so it's quite appropriate that we are beginning today with, of course, Parshat Breshit, a massive Parsha that could really be studied for years and years and years just on its own without even getting to the second Parsha in the Torah, and a pretty remarkable one. And there's a lot going on first of all, in terms of the content of the story, but I think also with the dynamics of the text. Um, Most notably, the the two creation stories of man. Stories that maybe we have gotten folded into each other in the way that we teach it. Um, Stories we may not fully even recognize are two separate stories, um, but really are in very many ways two entirely separate stories. And there's a creation of man in the first chapter when man is created to rule over the animals and to, to really rule, I think, over the world. And then in the second chapter, where man is created, and then God breathes life into him, um, puts him in Ghanedin, and then only then realizes that actually, that it's not good for a person to be on their own and creates women to be with him. And then we have the whole story of the Ghanedin and the serpent, etc. And so the question of today is, why do we have two creation stories? or perhaps a little bit differently, what can we learn from the fact that we have two creation stories? And scholars over history have attempted many answers at this. The academic, the biblical academics would say, well, it's two separate stories that got synthesized into one. Um, The Rav, Rav Salaveitchik famously talks about this and says, well, the two separate creation stories refer to the creation of two different aspects of man. And it's also good material for gender theorists and talking about, well, in one of the creation stories, man and women are created at the same time in a more ostensibly equal way. And then in the second time it, it's less of that. Woman is created for man, and you know, that can address all sorts of different dynamics and theories, et cetera. So there's a lot of material to work with. Today I wanted to offer my own perspective on that and the way that we can really appreciate where this is going is by looking at the structure and the content of the first three chapters of the book of Bereshit. So going back to the first chapter of Bereshit, this is a very well-structured, well-organized chapter. It opens with, in the beginning when God created man and woman, And what was there in the beginning? There was the primordial chaos, the tohu vavohu, the nothingness and the everythingness all at the same time of God's presence and the water, but really there's nothing. And then God starts to create structure in that nothingness. On the first day, God creates light and then separates it from the darkness. On the second day, God creates the rakia, the firmament, separating the waters of the heavens from the water on land. On day three, God gathers the water on the land to expose the dry land so that we have land on what to walk on. And you'll notice, by the way, that those first three days aren't really about creation so much as they are about order. They're about taking the chaos and starting to compartmentalize it so that you can make room for life. You can make room for existence and have the necessary structures in order to achieve that. And then God also, um, on creates vegetation as well on day three the sun the moon and the stars on day four and then the birds really the animals in the water of the sky on day five and the fish who swim of course in the water and the land then on day six we get the land animals and then culminating in creating man and woman in god's image and then we're charged with ruling over everything and god sees it is tov meod it is very good And the very beginning of chapter two, God rests on the seventh day, and that's Shabbos. And there you have it, a great story starting with the primordial chaos and the introduction of layers of structure that are necessary in order to sustain all kinds of life, possibly human life being the most important, and then the day of rest. Great, makes sense. Then we abruptly shift from Shabbat into chapter two, verse four, with a new creation story. Now, not only is it a new creation story of man, but it also seems to happen somewhere smack in the middle of the days of creation. Chapter one has just told us very clearly that man was created towards the end of the second part of the sixth day. But now we're told, well, wait a minute, At a time when there was already, there was heaven and earth, but there was no vegetation and there wasn't even rain yet. Then God took the dust of the earth, breathed life into it and created man. And then planted this garden in Aden and put man in there with all these wonderful vegetations and things, ostensibly things he doesn't have to work for. They're just there. And looks around and says, hmm, you know, it's not good for a person to be alone. Can't find anyone to help. Adam. And so God puts Adam to sleep, takes the rib out, and makes chava. And then once chava is created, along comes the nachash. They eat from the uh, etzadat tovarah, the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And then we are launched into all sorts of chaos immediately. They realize that they are naked, something that they did not perceive about themselves before. Then God comes looking for them and then they lie to God. That's number two. And then God curses the serpent and curses man and women as well, right? Man is cursed. You have to, by the sweat of your brow, you shall eat. And women will have pain in childbirth. And also their husbands will rule over them. And then not only that, like if that's the third worst thing that happens, what happens next? It gets even worse. God looks around and says, wait a minute. Now that man is, knows tovara, knows good and bad, what if he's going to try to eat from the etzachayim, from the tree of life, and live forever? And so God banishes man and woman, um, Adam and Chava, from the Gun Eden, and sends them out and leaves behind a fiery, ever turning sword to guard the way to the tree of life. So this not only... Is a creation story that flies right in the face of what we've now learned, what we learned in chapter one, but also actually really follows the opposite structure of the creation story in chapter one. As we said, the creation story in chapter one is very neatly organized and starts with primordial chaos and then has stages of separation and creation or creation to the point where we can have this hierarchy where man rules over the world. Chapter two starts maybe not so much with structure, but certainly it starts peacefully. It starts the way that things were in theory supposed to go. You have a person and you stick him in this gun Aiden. He doesn't have to really work for his food. It seems like it's all there. And he can just kind of live this utopian, relaxed, enjoyable life. And then God creates a partner for him. And okay, now they're together enjoying this life, except then disaster strikes. Along come the nachash, they eat from the fruit, and then everything just erupts into chaos. One step after another, very quickly, they go from being too people, although I don't even know if you can call them people, because almost robotic in the sense that they didn't know they were naked. They don't have a knowledge of good and bad. And within just it seems like it could in theory just be moments, it goes to the point where they're actually just expelled and sent down there sent out on their own in pain. And in that sense I actually see what I see is chapter two as being starting with that structure, starting with that sense of peace, and then devolving into chaos which is the opposite. It's the opposite direction of chapter one, which starts with the chaos and ends with structure. Now, the message of chapter one is clearly that before there was creation, there was chaos. And that the entire point of creation is to structure that chaos and lead to order. And so if chapter two, the story of the creation of humanity, not the world, this is just humanity. Starts with structure, starts with peace, and ends in chaos. I think it begs the question of: well, is that the good thing? What is the point of starting with structure and ending with chaos? And that is really wherein I see the message of the second of the second creation story. The second creation story. It's hard for us to read it and not think of these things all as punishment, to not think that the perception that Adam and Chava are naked is punishment, that having to work the ground for your food and have pain in childbirth, that not all of that is punishment, that being banished from the Gan Eden is punishment, that not being able to eat from the Eitz and live forever is a punishment. But what if we don't see these all as punishments? And what if we rather see them as the very facts of life that dafka make us human? As our rabbis have taught us in different places when discussing the yetzer Tov and the ra? humanity wouldn't really be humanity if we didn't have a yetzer Hara. The rabbis even go so far as to say that it is our our evil inclination, our inclination to do things that are not good for us that leads us to engage in business, that leads us to reproduce. There's something about a a utopian existence without any temptations towards bad things for us that actually, it just stops productivity in its tracks. When you have that kind of existence, you don't actually want to do anything or go anywhere. It ha- it's only with a desire for things that are sometimes good for us, but sometimes bad for us, that we move forward in the world, that we make good choices, sometimes bad choices, but that lead us to discover new things. And really, I think in that sense, define what it means to be human. And I think a lot of what we see in chapter two explores what it means to be human. I think that God wants us to be, God wants to give us the space to ask the questions of, God, why did you create us with a desire to do bad things, with a yeter hatov, right? So many of us struggle with the yeter. What the yitzir, Excuse me, the rotten ha- ratan, the yeter hatov. So many of us struggle with our yeter hara all the time. Why do I want to do this thing that I know is bad for me? Why do I stay up late even if I should, when I know I should go to bed early, right? Why do I, I all sorts of things, engage in be- behaviors that are damaging to me when I know I shouldn't, but I do it anyway. I think that's one of the fundamental questions that people ask about the world, right? Why did God create us this way if it's bad for us? And I think another fundamental question people ask is, why do we die? Why don't we live forever? Why would God give us this wonderful world and people we love and then the extraordinary pain of losing them and then dying ourselves? Wouldn't the world be so much easier if we didn't die? And in chapter two, God really God invites us to explore those questions and suggest that, yes, maybe there was a world in with humanity did not have those things. But of course, the message of that is you weren't actually really human without the knowledge of good and evil, without mortality. You're just kind of these figures in a garden, not really doing anything. You won't even realize your own bodies, right? You don't have the connection to your body to even realize that you're naked. And it's only that you really become human once these negative, these ostensibly negative things are integrated into you and become a part of you. And so to conclude, just remembering the structure, the first chapter, chaos into structure. The second chapter, peace, structure, at least things aren't going wrong, descending very, very quickly into chaos. Now, you could see that as regrettable, but I actually see that as, dafka, the lesson of humanity. The world needs structure in order to exist. However, the story of humanity is that perfect structure, perfect organization doesn't work for us. Humanity, being human, means to exist in a chaotic environment, to always be drawn to different things, to feel the pain of not knowing whether you should do something that is good for you or bad for you, to feel the pain of death, to to struggle with all of these things. But Dafka, that isn't something we should bemoan about our existence. That's one of the most fundamental, important parts of our existence, and that that part of us did have to be created separately on the second day because our lives are much more than just our role in the bigger world. Our lives are also part of being humanity and all the messiness that comes with it. Shabbat shalom.